0: Welcome to the All Out Coach Podcast, my friends. This is Tim Feely, your host. In this episode, you'll hear part two of a truly memorable conversation I recently had with Peter High, president of Metastrategy, a premier advisory firm in business strategy, helping organizations manage their data transformation journey, international growth strategy, mergers and acquisitions as well. Peter is the host of the first and longest running tech podcast called Technovation author of the book, Getting to Nimble, also a globally renowned keynote speaker. In this conversation, you'll hear Peter candidly share his insights redefining productivity in our competitive business world in which we live and work today. He'll talk about performance metrics and designing those contests that matter. And finally, he'll talk about the corporate social responsibility and the ultimate legacy of information technology executives and large enterprise in general as well. So we will address a lot of the intriguing latest organizational data research and studies and controversial topics as well. So listen to this episode, subscribe to the All Out Coach show. And send me your suggestions and comments and questions. Enjoy the show. Yeah, and uh, so so speaking of some some of the recent uh, evidence that I've seen, that I'm curious to the, your for your perspectives about, Peter. You know, there's recent studies that have been published that have showed that many different employers uh, and industries began to use data to monitor the employees and what they termed the worker productivity score. I've seen some recent articles, you know, and which has backfired for many companies in in, in, regard, in, in many regards, as employees have shown to be more likely to uh, express those very behaviors that are prohibited when they know that they're being monitored. Uh so uh there are different ways we can use technology and 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 you know and security. Uh, and I've seen it firsthand among many employees in, in my industry who are. Who love the nature of their job but as soon as they know that they're monitored they, they they choose to use their own personal st- cell phone rather than a company phone for example so how do you interpret such such results and what recommendations do you have in applying the new technology uh in, in, you know to guide decisions that impact our employees
1: yeah I mean I think uh, it, these are all fair points as well I mean I I, I think a uh, uh, people who run companies deserve to know how productive their teams are. But the methods that are used to evaluate that and the, and the methods used to collect the data um, are going to be different for different organizations. And, and I, I think, uh, you know, in some cases, it's an ongoing dialogue from manager to managed, if you will. Um, and perhaps to some extent, sort of anecdotal. And that that's imperfect, of course. The, 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 what it makes attractive, the Possibility of monitoring, you know, who's online when, and what are they doing when, and, uh, and when are they using their phone versus their computer, et cetera, and and you know, drawing distinctions based upon that. The beauty of that is that it's, it, you know, it, it is, um, it, it takes the person out of it. That that there's there are programs that are evaluating that that provide you know percentages and and, and means of evaluating things that are that can be quite compelling. But as you point out, especially if it's done. Uh, surreptitiously, without the knowledge of employees, and somehow that's found out. Obviously, that can be um, can backfire tremendously. And in fact, even being transparent about it, as you call out, can have its own issues as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I think part of it is having an ongoing dialogue with the team. That look, we all we all owe each other uh, productivity, of course. Uh, different organizations will determine what what uh, um, what form that takes. I mean, some have great liberty; you work the hours you want, but get this done. You know, like. We agree this is due on Wednesday, whether you're doing that, you know, after the kids are in bed or, uh, you know, uh, different hours than the typical work hours during the day is up to you. Whereas others will say, look, we all should be working at the same time because in that way I can reach out to you and know that you'll be uh, in a position to take a, take a call for me or, or, uh. Uh, you answer a question or, or just engage in a dialogue when necessary. So different organizations will take different stances. But I think having a very human aspect to it, an ongoing dialogue as to the rationale for the necessity to just make sure that we're all kind of living up to um, what we owe each other uh, in, in our jobs is an important dialogue to maintain.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are some of your personal recommendations to CIOs regarding these trends of um, type B corporations, of integrating corporate social responsibility or responsible AI, for example, into training and policies, if their business?
1: Having a better understanding of the broader implications of the decisions you make, I think are really important. Uh, taking those in order, uh, you know, social responsibility, uh, you think about ESG type um, uh, aspects to, to businesses, technology has a big role to play in all of that. And quite frankly, the extent to which you are uh, hiring people who are younger, uh, they're going to be compelled or not based upon uh, you know how well articulated your thoughts are on those very topics. We hear so much more that the younger you are, the more you are kind of mission driven, uh, that people will accept a uh, jobs for, for less compensation if they feel tied to and uh and f- feel like they they really are a part of the mission that's being being driven for example and so a lot of that boils down to having a well articulated plan relative to some of these points so i would say like getting ahead of that and and um burnishing your own credentials and and highlighting what 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 you've envisioned for the future on some of these subjects becomes uh important uh for for those reasons among others the they're important for the for the for the prima facie reasons, uh, relative to those very ideas, but the ancillary benefits of also motivating and attracting great people, uh, which is the lifeblood of any business are also, uh, not to be, um, it uh, can't be underscored enough. Um, when it comes to responsible artificial intelligence and the downstream implications, uh, to, to investments made in technologies like those, again, I think, yeah, I, I, a note of caution needs to be there. Uh, you know, uh, recognizing the limitations of those are really important as well. I have a friend who, um, a chief, actually, he's, a, he's now a, holds the title of chief digital officer of a big company. He uh, talks about how when you put algorithms in place, when you're implementing artificial intelligence that is doing whatever it is that you are doing, whatever you've assigned it to do, you ought to give it a review almost like an employee on a regular basis and figure out which algorithms are succeeding and which are failing and promoting some and firing others. <laughs> um, so he really kind of uses that analogy in a really interesting way. And the idea is don't set it and forget it, but but rather think about you know wh- wh- how well is this working in the grand scheme of things? Just because you can measure something, just because you can put together an algorithm, just because it then does uh, develop an analysis for you, doesn't mean it's the right analysis, doesn't mean it's making helping you make better decisions. And so going through the critical aspects of determining the efficacy of those efforts and course correcting accordingly become very important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought those uh, points. And, and I, th- I think we have a lot to learn uh, as, as leaders from the next generation and new leaders entering the workforce. So we talked a little bit about the productivity as well. And so that brings us probably to performance metrics, right? How do you measure productivity or efficiency and in innovation? And w- one of the ways I think you can predict success now is becoming a digitally mature company, which, which was a term that I learned first from you, uh, from your course. Uh, what are those different stages first of becoming a digitally mature company
1: yeah it, it, uh, easier said than done I think the 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 the, the uh, phrase digital transformation is thrown around oftentimes without a full cognizance of what it means uh, there really are stages as you imply and uh, which are co- are covered in my course thank you so much for for noting that uh, my LinkedIn learning course on digital transformation and so if you think about it in its most basic forms the first form is digitization which is taking um, uh traditional information that, that your company uh has whether for internal uses or external uses and digitizing that um and uh some people you know it's, it's thankfully it's less the case today but for a while it was believed that that was kind of a digital transformation but if your digital realm and your traditional realm of your business are operating in parallel never the two ch- uh, to meet the value you're getting in the combination is lost um, a good example. Of this is the Washington Post, uh, my my hometown paper, but of course an international uh, media organization. Okay. Uh, they developed a digital, like so many media properties, developed a digital version of itself. Uh, you know, 20 years ago or so, got a different office for them in a different part of. In fact, it was Northern Virginia as opposed to the headquarters, which was in the District uh, for for the Post itself. And um, you know, had young staff and and uh, sexy workspace and all these sorts of things. But what they were in essence doing was taking kind of the information from the, the periodical and rendering it uh, digitally uh, and, and not doing much more besides that in those initial stages. True digital transformation means the combination of those things. The guy who runs technology now and also product for the company is a gentleman named Shailesh Prakash a wonderful leader he's been in role for over a decade now and he recognized the necessity to really get, take those parallel lines and cross them and brought the digital staff back to headquarters immerse them in all that the organization does so so having kind of you know reporters and pundits and and, and, and writers of various kinds working with directly with uh, the digital team to make sure that they are uh, getting the word out, getting getting news out, uh, and and interacting with the readers in more compelling ways and in different forms, whether it's video and audio, in addition to traditional um, written word, of course, mm-hmm. and finding news new ways to make the news immersive for those who are reading it. You know, once you get to that that level where the entire organization thinks about thinks digitally, that's really when true digital transformation takes place, and so it really becomes. You know, one of the signs, frankly, Tim, is when you have. I think during the period of transition, you'll have marketing and digital marketing. Marketing, you'll have you know sales and digital sales. Once those become t- the same thing, and you don't have a distinction between the two, you're 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 on the path at least to true digital transformation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a great way to describe it. And you know, in our function in medical affairs, we now have the operations department, which is which is growing, which you previously saw mostly in commercial or marketing. You know, because in the marketing uh, departments have a different revenue and medical affairs is non-revenue generating function uh, that is, is essentially involved in generating and disseminating information. So it's it's in the business of information during the age of information. And now we're finding ourselves having to communicate in, uh, different ideas across different channels as well. And so that, that operations is becoming ever so relevant to us. Uh, one example that you um, speak about in your interviews of a function which combines uh, both uh, domain expertise with operations and with the workflow is DevOps, right, uh, in, in IT and in technology. So, what makes the DevOps specialty in technology companies an important case study to learn from for, for us, for example, in medical in, in pharma or in other yeah. industries?
1: In its most basic form, it's a great question because I think it really is a, a emblematic of change that needs to happen across all aspects of the organization. So DevOps is simply a portmanteau between development and operations. And in a technology setting, the idea is that there are certain people who are involved in the creation of something, taking it from zero to, you know, prototype into working model. And then there are those who then manage it once it is up and running. And so, once a product is released, then you've got a team who only then engages to make sure that it continues to uh, to run and do what it is to, that, that it's doing in in various uh, in various ways. The difficulty with that, the assumption was, those are two different uh, uh, styles of work, two different skill sets, and a logic then to keep people sort of isolated in those areas or domains where they operate best. But the problem is there's a lot of friction and there's a lot that's lost, frankly, in the sort of tossing over the wall from one team to another uh, with the graduation of idea and prototype to working model and working product, again, in whatever form that might take. And it's been realized that including the people who will be operating it in the earliest stages with those who are developing things actually pays enormous dividends in terms of you know ensuring that it's working uh, and functioning well that you are taking into consideration like security. In fact, in, uh, in some ways, the uh, in many cases the the portmanteau has been extended to DevSecOps for security there in the middle. Um, that you are that you're thinking further about um, you know the the downstream implications to what's being developed at the outset, and so. I think the broader trend to bear in mind that this is representative of is a uh, creating um, making these traditional silos of business more permeable. you're You're still going to have a marketing department, a operations organization, a tech division, et cetera. Um, it's not like those go away. But the, the silos that those that, that encompass each of those need to become permeable silos, where resources are going across each of those and collaborations are being formed in ways that perhaps they weren't in the past. And so any opportunities to bring together uncommon bedfellows, so to say, to, um, to experiment together, to ideate together, and in fact, even to develop products together. And even in many cases, the whole notion of product teams, which bring together... Uh, team members from across those different disciplines with an ongoing uh, responsibility to refine and innovate around those ideas. Let me just take as as an example, order to cash, that's a a process area, uh, a value stream that uh, most private sector organizations have in one way, shape or form. If you assemble a team with the various disciplines necessary in order to innovate around the process of taking, going from order to cash to continue to, uh, you make that more efficient, more user-friendly, uh, efficient from the from the perspective of getting cash in the door, et cetera, um, then you can actually uh, have the the, the 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 those those teams you assemble can innovate in a different kind of way and develop different kinds of ideas. In fact, uh, that make those make them more powerful, more applicable. So I think this applies across the organization and wherever you can foster those unusual collaborations, so much the better.
0: Uh, great, I really appreciate that advice, and uh, I think. Also, what I take away from some of uh, your description there is the introspection, right? So the people who are uh, directly responsible for the work are then forced to be a little bit more introspective, right? And reflective of of their operations. Great point. Right? Yeah. uh, Because the expectations or metrics that we have in business are driven by the norms of communication and the workflow that we ourselves create as well. Um, so I, I would love to ask this question uh, and, and for you know, I'm curious about your opinion about you know how do we create those types of performance metrics or the kinds of contests that matter in a competitive ecosystem? Uh, whether or not we are generating revenue as a department or we're not, let's say, as, if, as in the case of medical in pharma or other departments that I'm sure you've observed, what are some trends and and some like guidelines or frameworks that you know you would share when we think about when we design those kpis and you know contests competitions
1: yeah well I mean Tim ultimately you want to have uh I- innovation it's kind of funny innovation is one of those uh, topics that sometimes people know when they see it but but uh, don't necessarily know how to evaluate that and measure that and I would say in many cases it is, An ongoing um, evaluation of the percentage of revenue that's derived for something that was created in 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 some sort of recent time frame. Maybe it's the past twelve months, past two years, something like that. That you want to have a pipeline to your ideas, such that you know you don't have a complacency to where you're earning your your revenue. That you don't have uh, you know ninety nine percent of your revenue uh, earned on products or services developed. Ten years ago, let's say, as to take a very dr- stark, dramatic example, right, that would sure. certainly suggest the competitors are probably out innovating you in one way, shape, or form. So, part of it is that recency that you're you're continuing to drive new kinds of value uh, in the recent time horizon and have a mechanism in place in order such that that is a an ongoing uh, 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 fulfillment uh, and 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 proof of value as as time goes on. Mm-hmm. I think you know, interestingly enough. Uh, harkening back to the earlier point of the necessity to uh, have, you know, the, the, the recognition that you're not going to bat a thousand if you're innovating. It's also, frankly, uh, you know, evaluating the number of ideas that you're putting out into the world uh, that are not succeeding. Uh, I'm not suggesting, of course, that it's a great thing that you put a hundred ideas out into the world in the last twelve months and a hundred of them failed. Right? There's no, there's no pride in that. But I think, it, it, you know, understanding, you know, how are we? at developing new ideas of taking a lot of turns, you know, to the plate and taking a lot of swings uh, for, forgive, forgive a lot of baseball analogies throughout the interview, but uh, uh, that, that, uh, yeah, that, that I think, I think it's important for us to evaluate that and not necessarily have too much consternation in recogni- recognizing that some of those are, are not going to be successful. We of course want our batting average to, to stay high and improve it. But we also need to make sure that we are we are not holding ourselves to a standard such that you know if a if an idea doesn't uh, prove fruitful that that we are failures as a team. It's always opportunities for learn learning and not failing. Hopefully, the same way in the future, but rather taking that learning forward in new uh, you know constructive ways. Mm-hmm. So those are a, a, not not an exhaustive list, Tim, sure. but a couple of things that come to mind.
0: Yeah. Peter, uh, I want to tell you that uh, we share uh, yet another thing that we just, I just discovered. The I also have used the baseball analogies, believe it or not. <laughs> right? And, and I, I enjoy writing. I have quite a lot of uh, blog articles and LinkedIn articles. Uh, and probably the most frequently cited one is one where I used this baseball analogy to talk about performance metrics in, in, in my function. So I, I personally appreciate them. Uh, the second comment that I wanted to make also is that those ideas, I, one of the reasons why I, in my last in-weekend newsletter, uh, I, I made a uh, bold statement that you know, I think the strongest, most innovative leaders follow ideas, not people because uh, that allows them to not take offense to criticism, to provide more feedback, and also to be able to share a lot of different parts of ideas from various different people and therefore come up with their own uh, diverse set of uh, approaches and uh, platforms. And so that to me is where is how ideas become the protagonists and, and really help us communicate and create that you know, psychological safety as well. Uh, so i I really appreciated uh your your comments you know about the batting average and the fact that look yeah a, a thousand uh, you know a hundred of those hundred IDs may not be for, uh, may not be successful but maybe taking parts of them may create a, a masterpiece in the next year right mm. <laughs> so, well said very well yeah, said I have one last question that I want to ask and th- th- that that has to do with disruption, which which a lot of CIOs and chief technology officers I think are accustomed to probably more than others in other industries, um, right? And so, what amidst this fast pace of information and how much information and how fast it travels, uh, how do chief inf- information officers, uh, IT departments, leave a legacy? Across their ideas that may even outlive them, right? Like Andy Warhol said, that the idea is not to live forever, but to leave ideas that will. So, um, what you know, what is the legacy of the next generation, most modern CIOs?
1: Yeah. So, I think uh, Tim, I will say, I, I, uh, I think it is really the ideas they put in place. Now, technology is, is so fast-paced, it will not necessarily be the tech solutions themselves because you don't have to go too many years out to know that the state of art today is going to be uh, you know, what's on the trash heap in a decade. And so I think m- in many ways, it's a philosophy more than anything else. It's a desire to constantly innovate as we talked about before, press, uh, you know, sort of uh, push the boundaries of what can be accomplished in our industries, Building great teams, and actually, if I were to, if you ask me for a single um, uh, response to that, it is the family tree we leave behind. What I mean by that, Tim, is how many people uh, were once reports of ours who have gone on to lead other organizations. I think the, I, I've, I know a number of people who've, you know, who are chief information officers who have, you know, a dozen or even more. Uh, 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 chief information officers of other companies who once reported to them, and they take enormous pride out of that. I think, in building that kind of skill set for the future, uh, that that is, I think, in many ways, the greatest legacy we can leave.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. Uh, I've truly enjoyed our conversation. It's been an honor. I hope that a lot of uh, those who will listen will uh, follow the Technovation podcast, will read Getting to Nimble, your latest book. Um, and I look forward to continuing our dialogue. If you have a final message to all our coach listeners where the slogan is stretch yourself, lift others, I'd like to leave the last word to you.
1: Thank you so much, Tim. It's been a wonderful conversation. I think what you're facilitating here is so incredibly valuable because in this day and age where it, the pace of change has never been uh, so fast, and yet it's the slowest it will be from this point forward. It requires that all of us be lifelong learners. And so the extent to which we have the gift that you're providing, uh, among others, of learning from others along the way and drawing upon those for the kinds of changes we need to continue to incorporate into our organizations, uh, we will all be better for it.
0: Thank you so much, Peter. Have a great- Thank you
1: again. You too.